My name's Scott. If I've never had the privilege of meeting you, um, I get to teach God's Word to you this morning, so I'm excited to do that. And we just hope here at Novation, you know, more than anything, that you experience God's love, that you experience what community is really about, and that you will find real hope, you know, real truth that's found in, in the person of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thanks for time in your Word Thank you for the truth, God, that we can open up and look at and, and truly answer this question. Where can we find happiness and satisfaction? So, Lord, lead and guide the words of my mouth, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus did ask many questions. Um, he asked questions about probably the most important question he ever asked was, who do you say I am? He asked that to his disciples, and he asked people all the time, will you follow me? And he, he, that's how he probed people's hearts. And in John 1:38, it's not on your notes, um, John the Baptist was with a couple of his disciples, his own John the Baptist's disciples. And Jesus came walking by, and John stood up and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And so, as he got this revelation that Jesus was the Messiah, he was the Christ, he was the Savior, a couple of John's disciples began to follow after Jesus. And as they were walking behind him, Jesus turned around in the way Jesus always did this, and he said, what are you looking for? He asked these guys, what are you looking for? He was already challenging their thinking. This morning, I really believe that Jesus wants to probe my heart he wants to probe your heart with that question. What are you looking for? Where are you truly trying to find happiness and satisfaction? Longing for, for happiness, longing for satisfaction, searching for it, like the people in the video, is instinctual to the human condition. It's instinctual for us to long for and search for happiness, to search for satisfaction. But you guys know this, the reality is what? Very few ever find true happiness. Very few ever find true satisfaction. I would pose the question early on in this talk this morning that could it be that we've been looking in all the wrong places for true happiness, for true satisfaction? We are in a series called Q&A. And we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon. I'm going to talk in just a minute about who he was. But he, he posed those big life questions throughout the book. And he didn't always bring the answer. But Jesus, thankfully, brings the answer. The, the whole of Scripture brings the answers. All of Scripture is inspired by God and is there for a reason. And this book is there for a reason, to, to probe our hearts, to ask those questions, those deep questions. Where do we find happiness and satisfaction? Again, this book, Ecclesiastes, is written by Solomon. Solomon was uh, King David's son. If you're not familiar with Scripture, King David was the, the warrior king of Israel. And when, when he passed on the kingdom to Solomon, the kingdom of Israel flourished. It flourished financially and power in all kinds of ways. And Solomon would have been that guy that appeared to have it all. He had the good life. He had everything we thought we needed to be happy and to be satisfied. I was recently in a bookstore 
and I was perusing the magazine section. And if you go in there, you see all the different types of sports or this or that. And it was funny, as I, as I looked, I saw there was a magazine called Success. How many of you have ever seen that magazine before? There's a magazine called Success. Then there's a magazine called Fortune. Then there's a magazine called People, right? And then there's a magazine on health and fitness. There's, so there's all these things that we think we need. The, the magazine Success is going to give you articles and tips on how to get ahead in life, how to be successful. Fortune's going to teach you about people who have made money and how you can make money. The, the People magazine is about famous people. And so what are famous people up to? Health and fitness and so on. Because the reason we have those, those types of magazines is everyone is asking this question. Where can I find happiness and satisfaction? This is so important. Today, if you're not a Christian, this, is, this message, this question and answering this correctly is going to lead you to Jesus. It's going to lead you to some answers. If you're a Christian today and you're, you know you're following him, check your heart. Are you really looking to him for happiness and satisfaction or success, fortune, people, etc., etc.? Solomon, you can see this on your notes, Solomon, he continually felt two emotions as he looked for happiness and satisfaction. He continued to felt these, these two emotions. The first one he felt was frustration. You can write that down. He felt frustration. Real quick recap from last week, if you weren't here. Last week, we talked about, we asked the question, what's the point of life? Because in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 2, Solomon cries out and he says, meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless. He goes on to say, you know, what's, what do I get for all my toil? What do I get for all my work? All these things seem to add up to just meaningless things, meaningless he says that over and over. It's the words of a frustrated man. And so last week, as he said everything was meaningless, we answered the question, what is the point of life? And maybe you're still wondering that today. The point of life is preparation for eternal life. That's, that's what Jesus said. The point of life was to know God, to know Jesus, and have an eternal life with him. And so everything we do is preparation for eternity. But people can relate to this frustration that Solomon felt of, of meaningless, meaningless. What's the point? I mean, if you were to be honest, you've said that. What's the point? Why do I do what I do on a daily basis? What's this really amounting to? The second emotion that, that Solomon experienced was futility. And futility means emptiness. He felt an emptiness inside of him. He continually felt that as he searched for happiness, as he searched for satisfaction. In chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So he uses this phrase, under the sun, 29 times. What does that mean? That all these things, I've seen all the things done under the sun. Well, under the sun is a perspective of life here on earth apart from God. It's an earthly perspective. It's, it's the person that, that doesn't believe in God, doesn't know God, doesn't, doesn't put God in the equation of life. 
They're living life under the sun. And what each one of us need is we need a perspective above the sun. And that's God's perspective of life. When you get God's perspective of life, it's a game changer for, for, for your life and for how you'll see things. Then he says it's a chasing after the wind. This is a poetic way of talking about the pursuits of joy, the pursuits of satisfaction, the pursuits of purpose outside of God are endless and empty. If I'm pursuing joy and purpose and satisfaction outside of God, it's going to be endless because it's chasing after the wind and it's going to end up empty. If our conclusions you know, about life are drawn from life under the sun, apart from God, then life is full of despair. It's pessimism at best. We're pessimistic. Solomon experienced those two emotions. Maybe you have too. Maybe you've been experiencing frustration with life and, and futility at life and feeling empty. Solomon, I, I see three things in these verses that we're going to talk about this morning. Solomon had an experiment that he did, and then he had an evaluation, and then he came to a conclusion. Let's work through that. First of all, Solomon's experiment. Solomon basically said, I'm going for it. I'm going to live life to the fullest. I'm going to live the dream. I'm going to try everything, do everything, pursue everything. I'm going to have this experiment of, of just living large and in charge, right? How many know what I'm talking about when you live large and in charge? This is what Solomon was, was, was going for here. And the first thing Solomon did, you can write this down, he searched for wisdom. He searched for wisdom in his life. That's the first thing he did. If you remember back in uh, 1 Kings, if you're new to Scripture, 1 Kings is the story of the kings of Israel, the stories of all the different kings of Israel. After David, was get, when David was getting ready to pass on and Solomon was, was anointed the new king of Israel, Solomon was a little boy. He was young. And he, he prayed to God, and he asked God for wisdom. He said, God, this is too great a task for me. I need wisdom to rule uh, such great people, your people. And God responded to Solomon. He responds to him, he says, Solomon, because you didn't ask for riches, because you didn't ask for power, but you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to make you the wisest man who ever lived. And he said, because you, you didn't ask for it, I'm also going to give you, you know, an amazing kingdom. I'm going to give you, you know, everything you, you, you ever dreamed because you didn't ask for it. Look what Solomon, remember at the end, in Ecclesiastes, he's getting towards the end of his life. And he's reflecting on this life that, that he lived. And what we see over and over in, in, in the book of Kings that, that a king would either do right in the Lord's eyes or he would do wrong in the Lord's eyes. Well, Solomon was a man of compromise. David was a man of great conviction. Solomon compromised. There were times he served the Lord and did right in God's eyes, and there were times he did his own thing and got swayed uh, by, the, by the, the, the idols and the cultures around him. So here he is, the wisest man who ever lived, and here's 
one of his conclusions. He says in verse 13 of chapter 1, I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done in the world. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. You know, how many are familiar with Albert Einstein? No doubt, right? Uh, Albert Einstein considered one of the most brilliant minds, you know, ever, especially in the last couple hundred years, the discoveries that he did with, with math and science and even some philosophy. Einstein was so smart and so wise and saw some of the, the vastness of science and math and all this, it made him feel really small to the point where he kind of didn't know who he was and he almost was, he could totally relate to this that I have so much knowledge and wisdom, I look around and I see the tragedy of human existence around me. We search for wisdom in our lives. People read self-help books, pop psychology, we go to motivational seminars, we're doing anything to find the wisdom and knowledge to get ahead in life. Here, here's an important point. Real wisdom, real wisdom is learning how to live from God's perspective. If you want to know what God calls a wise person throughout the book of Proverbs, it's those who fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those who put God in his rightful place, those who allow God to be God, become wise people because they begin to see life from God's perspective. They see his commands, they see his truth, and live out what he has told us to live. There's wisdom of man and then there's wisdom of God. And the Bible says that, that there's a way that seems right unto man, but its way leads to death. But God's wisdom leads us into life. So wisdom wasn't enough for him in his experiment. He searched then for, for pleasure. He searched for pleasure. You can write that down. In chapter 2, 1 through 3, this is what he says. He says, I said to myself, come now, let's give pleasure a try. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this, too, was meaningless. It's silly to be laughing all the time, I said. What good does it do to only seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. While still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I had hoped to experience I hope to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. Sounds like the words of an empty man, right? Sounds like a Zoloff commercial. He's, he's, he's bumming. He, he doesn't have the answers. And you know what? There's so many of us, so many people around us. We are sold on a daily basis by TV, ads, marketing, media that sell us the good things of life. The good life. You ever done a, a timeshare seminar? You ever get roped into one of those? You're, some of you are not willing to raise your hand and say, yep, that was me. Man, a timeshare seminar, they are going to tell you why you need that week in Boca Raton or you need it in Keystone or you need it in, I don't know, Minnesota or wherever. I mean, you can get, they, some of these salesmen are so good, you can get talked into to anything, why, it's, why you need it. And we're told daily we need the new car. We need the new house. We need a new job. We need a, more money in the bank. And here's how you do it. And listen, these things in themselves, a new car, new house, whatever, these aren't bad things. But 
they can all be taken away like that. A new car, it can all be taken away. Have you ever, you know, remodeled your house and put new carpet and no one gets to wear shoes for like the first month until you spill a glass of chocolate milk or something, then it's fine, no holes barred. But for a little while, you try to keep that newness as long as you possibly can, but it ultimately can be stained or it can be broken or taken away. The American dream becomes the American nightmare pretty quick when we buy into this. How much is enough? How much do we really need? I looked up a statistic. This blew my mind. Do you know that the average American is $15,000 in credit card debt alone? That's not your mortgage. That's not your cars. That's just credit card debt. So Solomon, he had, he had the good life when it came to money, quote unquote. But something else that Solomon was a little, was way overboard on, was sex. He was oversexed. He lived in a sex-crazed world. We live in a sex-crazed society. Do we not? I mean, know what I'm talking about. We do. We live in a sex-crazed society. Solomon had 700 wives. I mean, making one wife happy is difficult. He had 700 wives. And he also had 300 concubines. And, yeah, I hear the laughter. You're going, What's a concubine? Well, basically, parents, you can explain this to your children at home, but a concubine was, you know, a woman that was there to be at his beck and call, if you know what I'm saying. Nod your head if you know what I'm saying. Okay, good. And maybe some of you parents are thinking, hey, Scott, this, this little PG-13, the Bible's a little PG-13. And the Bible can actually be fairly R-rated at times. And I want to challenge you as parents. Help your kids navigate, navigate through this sex-crazed world. I'm not ashamed to say that up here teaching God's word to you. If you don't help your kids navigate through this sex-crazed world, somebody else is going to do it. Something else is going to be telling them what's right and which way they should go. You as parents, your job is to not protect your kids from everything, but to prepare your kids for reality. Give your kids a healthy view of sex, a biblical view of sex. The biblical view of sex is one man, one woman in the covenant of marriage, in the commitment of marriage for a lifetime. You should be married if you're having sex. If you're not married and you're having sex today, then you're not doing what Scripture has commanded us to do. And I'm not up here trying to judge or tell anybody, you know, kill your, your fun. I'm trying to lead you back to joy to what Scripture teaches. That everything God commands us is always for our good. He knows what's best. He knows what's going to lead you and I into true joy. So God, if God tells us to do something or not to do something... It's not to take away our fun. It's to lead us into truth, lead us into righteousness, lead us into what's truly going to bring joy into our lives. So he searched for wisdom. He searched for pleasure. Pleasure wasn't enough. Then he searched in the area of achievement. He says this in 2.11. But as, as I looked at everything, I had worked so hard to accomplish it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anymore. 
Again, parents, let me harp on this. It's your job to shape your kid's perspective of what true success is, what true achievement is. Shape your kid's worldview to know that success isn't what the world says is around us, but it's a godly life. It's to live a life sold out for God and to live in God's blessings, to live in God's presence. That's our job, more than just to try to get our kids ahead and have the right job and have the right career and right education. Don't fall into that trap. Solomon tried it all. He said, I undertook this project. I built these vineyards. I made this. I planted this. I bought that. I amassed all this stuff. And in the end, he was empty. He not only tried it all and tried to achieve it all, he did it all for himself, all for his own glory. That's not the life God wants us to live. So Solomon's experiment left him empty. His evaluation led him to this evaluation. What was Solomon's evaluation? Point number two is this. He said, I've done everything and I cannot find happiness or satisfaction. He tried it all, wisdom, pleasure, achievements, I still can't find it. He was the guy you think you need to be happy. Seriously, we're all duped into this. We think if we can be that guy, then we're going to be happy and satisfied. But look at his evaluation. Chapter 2, verse 20. So I turned in despair from hard work. It was not the answer to my search for satisfaction in this life. He turned to despair. He's basically saying... Man, I'm the king. I got power. I'm wealthy. I got the ladies. <laughs> My voice cracked when I said that. The ladies. <laughs> I just hit puberty. He said, I'm the wisest man that ever lived, and I can't find happiness and satisfaction. He's basically saying, if I can't find it, who can? If this guy who had everything can't find it, then who can? Here's a good question. Why are we so devastated at loss you lose a job a house you lose a possession whatever it is you fill in the blank we we as people tend to be devastated at loss when our avenue of happiness when our avenue of satisfaction is shattered it's because we're putting our hope in the wrong things we're looking for true happiness and satisfaction in the wrong things those things can be taken away and can ultimately let you down. Forgive me for another sports illustration, but I, I love the movie Friday Night Lights, right? How many have seen the, the movie, not the TV show? Movie was better. Uh, the, the movie was based on a true story of a West Texas football team in the late 80s. And there was a, one of the main characters was a guy named Booby Miles. Yes, that was his name. And he was the star running back. And he was great at football and football was his ticket out of the oil fields of west texas and he was going to exchange the oil fields of west texas for the beaches and in palm trees of southern california because he was going to get a scholarship to one of those schools and you see during the movie bam one tackle knee completely blown out and there's a scene in the movie where He's told that he's not going to play football anymore, that it's over. He's told that his, his avenue to happiness and satisfaction just got, boom, a complete dead end, road closed. 
And the way he weeps, he weeps with his uncle, and he just, man, the, the wailing shows the condition of the human heart in how we, we look in all the wrong places for ultimate satisfaction. You can know how much you're looking for happiness and satisfaction in your job or your possessions or whatever, and when they're taken away, how do you respond? That's, that's how you'll know in that. All of our hard work, all that we accumulate can be taken away in an instant. All of us die and all of us die empty-handed. Here's the deal. I, I can totally relate to Solomon. I don't know about you, but I, I relate to this. I know in my own life experience up to the age of 25 that I tried my own experiment. How many tried your own experiment? I tried my own experiment. I was going to pursue this or that and fun and pleasure and, and school and, and success and many different avenues. I, I tried it all only to find myself empty like Solomon. At the end of the day, I was empty. I had that same evaluation. But I've done everything and I can't find it. I can't find what I'm looking for. And it wasn't until Jesus came into my life. It wasn't until I became a follower of Jesus that my eyes were opened and saw an eternal perspective that I didn't have prior to that. That's why I was so lost. And listen, I'm still very imperfect, and I still make many, many mistakes. I still get swayed to find my happiness and satisfaction in things and stuff, just like you do. But at the end of the day, I want to come back and find it in Jesus and find it in his purpose for my life not in what everybody else says the purpose for my life should be and I hope that would be true of you as well so Solomon then came to a conclusion he came to a conclusion and here's his conclusion every blessing is from God every blessing is from God he said so I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that this pleasure is from the hand of God. You may think, well, what is that? How did he come to that conclusion? This is actually a very good realization to sink into all of our minds and our hearts. And I would summarize that with this. Life is a gift. The simple things in life, like eating and drinking and relationships and family and community, the simple things in life are gifts from God. They are gifts from God. And Solomon is saying that the only way you and I can truly enjoy the, the, the blessings of God, the simple things of life, when we see them as gifts from God. Like all of God's good gifts, we can abuse and we can, we can make elevate those gifts above the giver of the gifts but first you got to realize that everything every, these blessings that we have are from God and they're things that, that can be received with thankfulness it's not on your notes but first Timothy 4 verse 3 the Apostle Paul is having to kind of correct some of the doctrine that was going on in the church that people were coming and saying that that marriage was 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 evil that you know abstain from marriage abstain from foods abstain from this abstain from that he and he's saying listen everything all these things when they're received as gifts from God we honor God with our thankfulness which leads me to this next conclusion 
Every blessing without God eventually will be without joy. Every blessing without God eventually will be without joy. It's summertime. People are planning vacations. Some have already gone on their, their summer vacation. You know how you plan a vacation and you anticipate the beach or you anticipate the mountains or the lake or the fishing or whatever, the relaxation, and you, you plan it out and you're, you're excited. And what happens, man? Boom, that thing goes by like a New York minute. It just, poof, it was over. And there's, at the end of the vacation, there's a little bit of like, man, I got to go back to work and reality. And, and how did this, this went by so fast. I'm the worst on vacation because I start counting down. I mean, we could be gone for a month. I'd be like, geez, you know, we only have 29 days left. We better hurry up and wring out everything we can out of this because let's go, 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 go. How many are like that? Just make me feel a little better. Good, thank you. At least there's three of us that do that. The rest of you are great at vacations. Christmas is like that. All the planning, all the wrapping, all the decoration, and boom. Next thing you know, there's wrapping paper everywhere, and it's like, wow, that went by pretty quick. Um, parties, whatever it is, vacations, Christmas, holidays, parties, they all have an end. Here's what I want you to get. We mess up when we make these things the means to an end. Catch that. When you make your vacation, your holiday, your party, your whatever, the means to the end, you're going to mess up. Because all of it is going to be empty unless you see God in it. Unless you see it as a gift from God. I don't know if you figured this out or not, but most of life is pretty ordinary. Most of life is pretty ordinary. One of my favorite scriptures is 1 Corinthians 10.31. It says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do to the glory of God. Eating and drinking are pretty ordinary things. Things that we do on a daily basis. Those ordinary things are no longer ordinary when they're done with thankfulness to God. When you just receive your meal and, and, and the simple things or ordinary things around you, they actually move from being ordinary things to acts of worship unto God. Seriously, get that. And so whether it's your vacation, it's, it's Christmas, it's a get-together, it's whatever you're doing, when you see it as a gift of God and you can thank God for it, you just had an act of worship that, that God was honored and glorified in. The point, though, that I think Solomon's trying to say is that blessings and pleasures in themselves cannot ultimately sustain satisfaction or happiness. You've figured that out. I've figured that out. If you haven't, figure out that, that these things in themselves without God cannot satisfy the deep longings of the heart. If we make the pleasures of life, the, 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 the ordinary things of life without God become idols. They become our functioning God. Whatever we find happiness in, satisfaction in, comfort in, security, significance in, significance in becomes our God. See, God is the only one that can bring happiness. God is the only one that can bring satisfaction. And when we make his gifts those source, then we've missed the whole point. But when he's the source, then his gifts are just an outpouring of his love to us, of what, how he wants us to enjoy life. This is a game changer. This changes how we, how we see life. We were created by God and for God to find fulfillment in God. So when we see these as gifts from him, then he's glorified. So enjoy life, enjoy his blessings, 
to his honor. Pursue wisdom to his glory and for his honor. It's okay to, to enjoy the pleasures of life to his glory, to, to his honor, the thing, how he's told us to live. It's okay to pursue these things to his glory and to his honor. What was Jesus' conclusion? This is so important. Jesus is more important than Solomon or anybody else's conclusion. And Jesus, when he asked that question early on, and he said, what are you looking for? And he asked that to all of us this morning. What are you looking for? Where, who are you looking for? What are you looking for as purpose and hope and happiness and satisfaction in life? We have a total advantage over Solomon. We have the New Testament. We have the Gospels. We have the words of Jesus to read. We have a total advantage. It's easy to, to, to pick on Solomon and say, dude, what didn't you get, man? You were the king of Israel. You had this. He did, this was pre-Jesus. Jesus answered the question of where do I find happiness and satisfaction. You can write this down. John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. In John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, Jesus says, if anybody is thirsty, come to me and drink and I'll give you living waters. From, from within your belly will flow rivers of life. And when you understand that, that the, whenever the Bible uses thirst or hunger, it's, it's allegory for spiritual hunger, eternal hunger, truth, what you're really